inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. And we're two siblings who happen to be blind. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Outlook today on Radio Western 94.9 CHRW. We are here and back live in studio. Yeah, Kara, it's been a while since since the both of us have been here in studio. I was here, what was that, a couple of weeks ago by myself, but I had you on the show. You still uh, co-hosted with me, but uh, you were... Patched me in. Yeah, well, that was our first time trying that, actually. And, you know, generally you are able to get to London. Our parents like to help out and... and also spend some time with us and then get your ride in from Woodstock where you come in from. But uh, some weeks that just doesn't work, so it's great we have this option for, for future. And Yeah, sometimes it would be nice to be in the same city, but... Uh, yeah, but at least now with these technology, there's way workarounds, and that, I thought that was really neat a couple weeks ago when we did that, and uh, so that was fun. And Last week, thanks again to Victoria Francis for coming on. Interesting uh, pre-recorded show that we did back in July that we aired last week, so... Always find that on the podcast feed outlook on Radio Western. Yes, and we're back today with a new show and a new guest. And in the month of August, hope everyone's having a good summer out there. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, our guest today is is has become the new president of an advocacy group that you and I got involved with. It started sort of the, the inspiration for the show in a way, the Canadian Federation of the Blind, and uh, he became president of that organization. Doug Lawler and uh, so we're going to speak to Doug today and um, thank you Doug for coming on Outlook hello good morning yeah it's great to have you on Doug and uh, where, where are you calling in from today to, for our listeners I'm currently in Kingston Ontario hmm yeah I've, I've gone past there on a, on a train on, on the way to Ottawa I believe um, but I don't know if I yeah you would definitely if you're going to Ottawa you would uh you would definitely make a stop in uh, Kingston, for the th- sure. The thing I wanted to do there, if I ever get to Kingston, was check out the tour of the of the famous prison uh, jail there. I don't know if you've oh, ever the, done the, that. Uh, the the King- Kingston pen. No, do you yeah. know what? I, I haven't done that yet. I'll have to do that uh, sometime down the road, but it's something I haven't done. So how long have you lived there in Kingston? I've been here since 2014. And sometimes when you live in a place, you don't always check out the things that tourists might check out. Yeah, you don't always think no. of it, maybe. <laughs> no, no, it, uh, like when I got here, I was just concentrating on, you know, basically getting to know the lay of the land, what, you know, what people are doing what, uh, where to get things, where to get groceries, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, and how do you... Concentrating... Ha- how do you find Kingston? I've actually been there. I had a friend who lived there briefly. Um, now lives back out east in, in Nova Scotia, but lived there for a bit. So I stayed there like that was years ago, though, and I never really did any kind of traveling or anything. So for for disability people who are disabled or blind, kind of what? How did you find? How do you yeah, find the is city? Is it an for, accessible city for transit? Yeah, and that kind like of stuff? Uh, downtown Kingston is fine. Uh, I spend more time in in the downtown area. Then, of course, there's the western. And which I'm not as familiar with, although I had to go out there the other day, but uh, I'm not as familiar with the western part of uh, Kingston as I am, say, the 
the eastern lake down by the down by Lake Ontario, like uh, the uh, the actual downtown mm-hmm. uh, area, say from oh lord, I'm I, I'm going to say Regent Street right down to like Ontario Street that area. And what about um, for, for actual like mobility lessons? Have you had have you been able to find good mobility services in in Kingston? Or do you figure it out yourself? Or you just kind of do it on, more on I'd, your own? <laughs> it was more on my own than anything. Right. So I just... A lot of people, you know, I think, a, are in that situation. That was a bit of a challenge, you know. When uh, when I got here first, I had no... I didn't have very good traffic light training. I, I, the, I think the last time I had probably crossed a set of traffic lights by myself before then would have been... Oh my lord! I'd like to say back in, <laughs> probably back in my Halifax days. It, it was it was a long, long time ago. Like mm. <laughs> since I did this, so uh, you know, I I knew in theory what had to be done. So it was an interesting uh, challenge to start getting used to traffic lights again. It was uh, it certainly put a few butterflies in the stomach the first time I did. It. Now, just out of sure. curiosity, did you did you try to reach out to the the CNIB or any any place for for uh, mobility at the time or? Do you, like, how did that go? I did, and I I think I got about an hour or so of mobility training from them. I think that was about it. And uh, then I just more or less took things on my own and just went with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. just interesting to kind of find out and what uh, yeah. people's approaches are. And, you know, it's we talk a lot on the show about services being e- easier to get some places than others, and I wasn't quite sure what that's like in Kingston. Here in London, I did have an instructor here for quite a bit who was quite reliable I would see once a week there for quite a bit but I haven't seen her in quite a few years and I I do yeah. generally do a lot of the stuff on my own at this point anyway but um, it's uh, just just nice to know that there is a service even though it's not necessarily have, the best uh, you know what and I, we have technology now that can mm-hmm. even some sometimes take the place of that I mean if you've got you know decent cane skills there's services like the uh, like the IBRA service that you can use I, I I like to use them if I'm in a if, if I'm at an intersection that I'm not familiar with oh. and I'll say can you do can you basically uh, make sure the light is in my favor that's the way I'll ask it like I'm I'll, I'll tell them what streets I'm crossing I'm I'll say I'm crossing I don't know Brock Street for example and I'm going straight ahead on uh, clergy Street can you tell me uh, can you tell me if this light's in my favor if I need that? Um, I, I might do that when I'm at, inter- at at intersections that I'm not familiar with just because I'm not used to how they sound. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know that this is going to sound very strange to a lot of people, I'm sure, who listen to this program. When you're blind and when you're crossing intersections, they certainly do sound different. So if you come up to an intersection that you're not familiar with, it is going to sound different than ones that you were familiar with. Yeah, because there's all different, uh, depending if it's advanced greens or turning lanes, and, and it, yeah. you know, it's you never quite always know what to expect. So it is important, especially if it's one that you're not used to, to kind of stand and listen for a few cycles to really get a feel for well, what's happening. I, yeah. think, I think that's the thing to explain to listeners who aren't blind, is that people think... You, you know, we're not stand. If we're st- if you see a blind person standing at a crossing and they're just standing there and you think that they should be crossing, a lot of people will jump in and say it's okay, you can go, or they'll grab you, which is an un- inappropriate, yeah. and pull you across. It's because you're standing I've there. Got, often. I've had that happen. Exactly. Yeah, we all have. <laughs> we have. I think. I actually had that happen down in uh, down in New Orleans. Actually, oh. that's uh, 
<laughs> yes, we've mentioned so many. We've mentioned some places now: Halifax, New Orleans. We're going to get into all of that soon because it yeah, sounds like you've you've been around. Absolutely, you've been around quite a bit. You've also been out to Victoria, British Columbia recently, and uh, and I know uh, <laughs> I believe I you were born been. somewhere else as well. So I was going to say people can hear your accent, a bit of an accent, maybe, and and so we'll ask uh, you that now. <laughs> but we just wanted. I to was find born out. in. Uh, I was. <laughs> I was born in Newfoundland. So. Right. And I think we've had at least uh, my uh, an old friend that I met at guide dog school, Ed, who's from Newfoundland. Um, but you know, not too many guests from Newfoundland. So yeah, I think you're the second one, even though you're not currently living there at this point. But but no, you said you've also no, lived I'm in Halifax. You said you've also lived in Halifax. I certainly did. Yes. Wow. All right, but yeah, you were finishing care just briefly with the with the yeah, traffic when so, you were waiting at a light. So just if people see blind people standing at a light, they're they're often just standing there listening and assessing it, and that's what you have to do when you can't see. There are ways of crossing a street with, when you're blind, and people might not know that, right? They they think you like even if you have a guide dog, they think the guide dog knows when to cross. And no, blind people learn ways of doing it. You listen for traffic patterns. You get familiar with certain intersections. But then, like you say, Doug, there are apps that now help you. And one of the ones that you mentioned there was Ira. And so for people who aren't familiar, it's this app service that you, you can call them. And there's like somebody on the other end who can look through your phone your, and see the what camera. the camera and see what you're seeing and, and they can do a whole bunch of things, right? They can look things up for you. They can see where you're located like with Google Maps and, and sort of help you out of, you know, they can they can look up all kinds yes. of things and they're, they're very they can, reliable and great. They can actually see your location. When you sign up for Ira, you do agree to give them the, your location mm-hmm. so they can look you up on a map and pinpoint where you are. Mm-hmm. So that's good for uh, navigation. Yeah, but I think they it's... They also have other... I think yeah, it's, go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, I think it is good that they have, you know... Like you talk about with the with the mobility, it's like, of course, it's still ideal to have a pr- actual trainer to learn these skills, a mobility instructor, to really yes, develop them. Yes. It's not to say, oh, if you have nothing, just go out with Ira and go to town. But no, it is, oh my God, no. It's like anything, right? It's having... <laughs> It's having oh. these different tools to all use together to to make the the most safe and 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 uh, options backups. Yeah, best experience you can have. I call it a tool in the toolbox, and it's not the right. only one I use. But that was yeah. what that was the first one Absolutely. that came to uh, that came to mind. Yeah. Okay, so let's then I guess let's go back to the the beginning and, and kind of start from 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 way back when. when uh, Everything you know, you're growing up in, in Newfoundland, and kind of how was how was that time, and, and what do you kind of recall from early years in, in your life and childhood, and and those experiences, and and then your blindness as well, kind of how that all tied in. Well, when I grew up, I grew up in what people would today call the suburbs of uh, uh, St. John's. I grew up what was when I was young, it was then called the Horse Cove Line. And right now it's called St. Thomas's Line. But back, we're, we're going back to the 70s. Like the, yeah, like the early to, you know, the mid-1970s, right up until the 1980s. Um, it would have been considered, you know, country living uh, in today's standards. We had, uh, my grandparents had, you know, they had a pig's house. So they had pigs and chickens and that sort of thing. Uh, they grew things. They cut wood for the winter. Um, members of my family would go out fishing and hunting. So we ate. We certainly had a lot of fish. 
<laughs> and we certainly ate a lot of wild game growing up. That's one of the things I certainly remember in my uh, in my childhood. Did you spend a lot of time on water or not? Were you more on the land? Yeah, we did. I, I, I did. Um, mm. <clears throat> when uh, when I was young, uh, my father had a boat, so we would go out on the water in, in the boat. Uh, and, uh, you know, several people during, you know, in, in my lifetime up until... Oh, Lord, I must have been like 13, 14 years old. We would spend a lot of time on the water mm-hmm. when I was home. I take it a lot of, that's kind of how it is when you live there. It's kind of like uh, in uh, in Yukon is like, they were just saying, everybody here is, we're all kind of outdoorsy people. You just, you grow up on the land and you just, you're out there a lot. Uh, you know, on in Newfoundland, I assume people are, you know, you're surrounded by water and basically a lot of people. There's a lot going on in the water. That certainly was it for me. You know, when I grew up there, uh, a lot of my family, they had they, they went hunting and fishing. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I got to drive around in lots, of, you know, in lots of cars and trucks. And that was just, you know, you could not live out there unless you had some sort of transportation. That was the, that was the big thing. That was, that was the main reason why I had to leave it. Yeah, I was going to mm-hmm. say, for somebody who is blind, that would be a little bit difficult. I don't know about in... In uh, St. John's, if it's if it's any different to kind of having uh, if, if any of the cities, but even then, I don't know kind of how how accessible it would be. Well, like I said, I think that my my friend Ed's still out there, so I guess it's doable. But so they do have bus service in St. John's. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah they're not yeah. totally. But I wasn't in St. John's. True. Yeah, you weren't, so it wouldn't have been uh, mm. wouldn't have those services. So were you you were born blind. Has your has your blindness always been yeah. consistent, or has it changed? No, no, I was pretty well born blind. I think I I went blind about a week after I was born or something. I was born premature, and I don't know how many months. This is back in 1971. Mm-hmm. I was born with uh, what they used to call retroventral fibroplasia. Now they call it, I think, retinopathy of prematurity or something. It's mm-hmm. said my retinas were scarred by, by too much oxygen. That's basically what happened to me. Mm-hmm. We have a, we've had a lot of guests. A lot of people have had yeah, that experience. Yeah, it's it's a common thing. Yeah. Right. Apparently, it's a lot more common than I realized. So, did you have siblings growing up? Was it? Did you have a big family, or was it pretty small? No, no. I'm Just I'm an only child. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to think about that. I was compared to us for sure. I was talking about that actually on the weekend. A couple of my friends having children now, and. Um, my friends from uh, London here just have one right now and just kind of thinking about what that would be like to be, to have been an only child. And it's just interesting because, yeah, we, you know, Carrie and I have two other older siblings, so we had four total. So it's uh, definitely a bit of a difference. Hmm. Oh, absolutely. So then, so then when, when school came along, how, how was that? Um, did, what was your situation there? You didn't go to... Did you go to a school for the blind then at that point, or did you start in a uh, integrated in the school uh, re- uh, regular I, school, or what was that like? I started in regular school. I actually started in a kindergarten class. Uh, I went to a place at the time. The school was called Holy Spirit School. It's now they, that that's all changed, of course now. But I uh, I started in a regular kindergarten class, then. The next year, I went to the Halifax School for the Blind until that Christmas. I, I did not like it so bad, I just came home. I, I just couldn't stand it up there, you know, at six years old and being put on a plane and 
Yeah, that's a lot to you, go away from you family. You get up and, there and then you realize, where well, is your family? Like, what am I doing up here? It was, it was <laughs> for, for me at that time, it was just truly dramatic. I, I, I remember that. It was just, wow, I, I, this is not normal. <laughs> so I went up there. This would have been 1976. I think I went up there until Christmas. Then I came home. Then I think I went through the school system home for a while. The next year, like 77, 78, they put us in. There was two. There was just myself and another student, and they had this teacher come in. And it was basically two of us in a class all day for a year mm -hmm. and then in 1979 my parents moved up to Halifax with me for, for a year to try to get me settled in so. oh wow and then I stayed up there until 85 and I came home but it was it was a very odd thing like that it, 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 that's about the best way I can describe it it was not a place I thoroughly enjoyed and, and it was a place I was so glad to leave when it was when, when I was done do you know when that that school is not still around right not in the form that it was when I attended. It now is something called the Atlantic Provinces Resource Center. Yeah, I think, oh, we, my had, Lord. I think it, we had a previous I guest know. who had been there, and she's a bit she's yes, more like they, our age. They, and yeah, so, sounds familiar. It's like a, familiar. there's a program that, that you can go, but it's not... Yes, it's now anymore. a resource center mainly for... I think it's mainly for teachers to get, like, the itinerant teachers to draw upon oh, really? to get information material. And they do send students up there for probably, like, a couple of months at a time at the most, for two or three months, to get, you know, in-house training in things like, I guess they would cover things like mobility skills, Braille, mm -hmm. uh, probably some independent living yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. Like that is not like there, there's a big difference in that, you know, in sending somebody up there for, you know, a couple of months or, you know, a, a couple of weeks at a time or a couple of months or even a, even a couple of months. There's a huge difference in that versus what we went through back in back in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a few schools still operating and in the States, there's still quite a few. Uh, but the, these days, they really do try to have integrated programs for, for, for blind children. Yes. Uh, and we, as Brian and I had that experience ourselves. So it's so interesting when we talk to guests here about this stuff because everybody's had a different experience. And some people are, you know, we're still at the School for the Blind in Brantford here in Ontario more recently. And some people have had better experiences than others. And so it's just fascinating to get the, the, the discussion going about that topic. And we always want to talk more about it. But you will find... You will find a range of experiences all all over the board regarding these places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just it would be traumatic for a six year old. <laughs> oh no, kidding! Goodness, I can't imagine putting my six year old through it. Mm -hmm. Wow, and yeah, so how do you think that affected things going forward with your family? Like, how do you think your family? Like, obviously, they moved there, like you said, to to make it easier for you. So. You obviously know it's yeah, not, they, they not ideal, there. but they, they want you to get an education. and Yes, for sure. Hmm. They moved there for the first year, and then they went home. Mm -hmm. 
But I remember coming back when I was a teenager and it was a very hard thing to try to adjust to normal life and getting rid of habits that you've developed because you were in a closed a bit sheltered. I'm calling it a close, yeah, like a like a closed society, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, it's what's segregation, it was, uh, I guess, but yes, the word segregation is definitely the right word for this. But it was a very, it was very hard to adjust to normal life again. It it, it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. So then, throughout these these experiences, so did how was the the overall training at um, growing up there with with Braille and and uh, mobility and these types of skills, how did you feel the the training was for you as a child growing up, and 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 how how did that go for you? You know, the, I I guess the training was as good, I guess, as you could get. Um, right. You know, you had you definitely had Braille training. You had mobility training. Now, one thing that would change from you know from then to now we weren't always encouraged to use the cane inside uh, a building. We would, Mm. uh, they tried to get us to do things like trail along the wall with your hands or something like that. That that was one of the main things they tried to get us to do. They figured too many canes in one building would be too much. I I do not know. I do not know. But, But, you know, when you're, I mean, once I got to university or even in high school, it's like, well, I can't continue that because there's, yeah, you know, there's obstacles all over the place. You know, if you're in a school setting, you've got people, you've got lockers, you've got book bags all over the place. Uh, if you're in a groups of kids hanging out all over the place, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, so, you know, you, you've got it's, you know, that might work in a very sheltered situation like, like a school for the blind back then, and it it, it did for for the most part. Mm-hmm. But it definitely would not work. At least it wouldn't work for me out in a, you know, a public setting where you're expected to find your way around and around obstacles and around people. And so, uh, and I think it's important that you you bring that up because I think it is one of those things too. We talk a lot about on this show, but you know, using a cane can be sort of a a challenge for some people and accepting that and and and, and feeling confident with it. So to say that oh you you you're, you can't use them inside. You just have to trail. It is kind of uh, taking that away. Mixed messages a little bit. Yeah, it's a little bit mixed, I would think. Yes, no doubt. There was, I don't recall much encouragement growing up for me to use it inside. It was a, it was a different thing. Mm -hmm. So then what about when you, so you said high school and, and transitioning into, you know, real life, whatever you want to call it, adult life you know, wider society. When you, you said you went to university, what was that? Well, high school, high school as well then. So for high school, you went, you went back to the, the regular school at that point? Yes. Yes. I went oh, back to the okay. regular high school system. Yeah. I didn't stay at the school for the blind in high school. I, I integrated when I was in grade seven. Okay. And where, what did you, so move, I, was that back in Newfoundland at that point or were you? Yes. Okay. I moved back to Newfoundland. Yeah. I moved back to where I grew up and, uh, and I why? finished my, why was that? Was that just you weren't well, that's where happy the, with that? Well, that's where his family was. Right. Well, you're right. Right. You oh, weren't I happy in Halifax. School system. <laughs> I, I really wanted to get out of it. That whole segregated right. thing. It was time to uh, it was time to move on and move forward. Uh, right. So then so then when you did go back to Newfoundland and go to school there, how was that experience and the support there? Were you getting good, you know, itinerant teachers and then that yes. type of support? Yes. When they realized what, what was needed, they... Uh, 
we did have good support there. At least I did. That's good. And that was through, you, so that was high school or a bit before you said grade seven, did you say? Yeah. Yeah, that was like junior high school right up through high school. I did have itinerant teachers then. Right. Good. Yeah, most people have had a mixed relationships. A lot of people have done, have gone all over the place, had both integrated and segregated experiences and and that does, you know, make, it does teach you things about, it does make, Absolutely. You, make you tough and resilient. Um, but yeah, but then, you know, you, you obviously went on university, so you did have a good foundation and some good education. Yes. There. Now I went to university. So what, that was interesting. I went to university for a couple of years and uh, didn't do very well there. I was not the best academic student, I don't think. Then I came back, then I sort of left university, started a business for a while. Then I went back to, you know, I started one business that failed. I started another. And what kind of thing? Business. What, what were these business? What, what was I it sold. Uh, I sold access technology back in the nineties. So we were mm -hmm. selling things like uh, uh, a lot of stuff from, say, Arctic Technologies, uh, AI squared. <laughs> so. You know, that was, we're, we're going back to the days of synthes of hardware synthesizers and uh, uh, the, the very beginnings of Windows. Yeah, we were just saying, like, technology has changed so much in our lifetimes and... Yeah, we're just kind of in that, in the cusp. I mean, all of us here, I mean, we're a little bit younger, but still, we're all kind 70s, of in that same 80s, group, yeah. right? Where we were in the 80s yeah. or the 70s, so we're pretty close. And, yeah, we kind of had that, whereas people now that are born, you know, into the mid, mid to late 90s and in the 2000s here... Well, with the internet and all that. Yeah, it's just always been here. But so a lot of blind people yes. do end up getting into the, you know, the technology access uh, business field. So I did that uh, for a while. I had another business where we did some, you know, web development for seven or eight years. And, uh, you know, it uh, it was an interesting ride. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Nothing's a straight road. <laughs> No, no, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, one other thing I just want to quick ask about the childhood before we uh, um, get get into a break here in a few couple minutes and then uh, move on to to uh, some more some more present day stuff present time stuff. But I just kind of want to ask a little bit about a little bit more about your family and your parents in particular and how how was the the blindness and and all this stuff for them at the time? Were they were they very easy going with it? Was it was it um, like you know it can be it's difficult I think for anyone in some ways it's not something that people expect to happen. So how did you find them? Were they like protective at all, or were they were they pretty like open for for things? Or what was your experience? Well, I think uh, there's always a bit of protection when they, you know, when, you, when you're a parent and you realize that your child has some kind of disability that you're not sure of how to deal with. So I, mm -hmm. I think there's all, there'll always be this bit of protection. But having said that, my mother always encouraged me to do what I had to do to try to get myself going forward in, in life. So it, it, uh, when I was 12 years old, I had a motorbike. Uh, I used to ride that around with my, with my friends. It was, it was a, you know, the people I hung around with at the time had, you know, motorbikes of their own so I I wanted one mm -hmm. you know being a being a 12 year old kid I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that raised a few uh, <laughs> raised a few eyebrows at the time but I had two motorbikes like uh, growing up so wow. you know it, it, it's uh, 
it was a way to try to integrate. I think I, I used those as a way to try to integrate into the uh, well, you just want into to the side of world. You want to fit in and just be like your friends, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, there was no discouragement to do something to do anything. You know, if if I wanted to do it, I I was certainly encouraged to do something. Well, that's great to hear because you do often hear a lot of times in life like, oh, you know, so many people saying, saying like, what, what are things blind people can do instead of saying like, you know, how can you how do can the we things do you these want things do. instead of yeah. you know, looking at it from this option of oh, there's so many there's such limitations because of course there's certain limitations but if we if we think in that mindset from the from the beginning then it's just like you're not kind of opening your mind to possibilities that you might just not know about or don't know anyone else Absolutely. who's doing something and. And uh, that's something we talk about a lot on this show is the fact that we don't always have the role models that a lot of people might be able to find somewhere because it's, you know, there's just aren't as many blind people in the world as there are sighted people, obviously. And, and so it's... Role models are not easy to find. And I found that hard in Newfoundland, too. You know, uh, it, you know I, I've definitely... I'm sure I had role models, but they were not the role models I needed at the time. Sometimes. Mm. So. <laughs> Great. So... Um, for anyone who is tuned in, we're speaking today with Doug Lawler, president of the Canadian Federation of the Blind, a friend of ours here from Ontario in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. We're going to take a quick break here on Outlook, and we'll be right back with Doug Lawler on today's program. Outlook. On Radio Western. And welcome back. Thanks for tuning into Outlook today. And we are speaking with Doug Lawler, the president of the Canadian Federation of the Blind. So in this second half, second half of the show, we're going to get to that. Uh, we've been speaking to you, Doug, about your your childhood and, and growing up. And uh, Yeah, we, we definitely do want to jump, get into the CFB stuff here yeah. and NFB stuff. But um, sorry, I kind of think I cut you off there, Kara. What? <laughs> What were you going to say? Nothing. I was going to lead into that. Like, we don't need to jump over the mid, you know. Well, I, I thought you should say, maybe talk a little bit about that, the mid. Yeah. Well, you were telling us before the break that you did, a, you know, you tried a few businesses and things in, in access and technology. And uh, so I don't know, you know, what else, because we, we met you through the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Uh, I mean, I think so. Didn't we, Brian? Yeah. That's how I think I met him. <laughs> um, but obviously... That's where we met. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doug's in agreement. So. That's what brought us to a lot together with a lot of blind people in the last five years with advocacy. We Before that, we weren't really doing that. We had each other as siblings, uh, but we were sort of just doing our thing. And, and so were you? Do, I assume you were doing your thing too, Doug. I don't know if you... Did you know a lot of blind people Did you growing up and, you know... No. In the last several I years? I actually did, did not. You? No? So you uh, were the kind of... growing up detached as well from the blind community yeah oh absolutely and like like in Newfoundland I, I certainly knew a few you know the people I went to school with but uh, you know I did not I did not go out and look for blind people <laughs> right. you know if I met them that was fine if, <laughs> yeah. I, if I didn't that was okay too well know? that's that whole thing about you must know this person because yeah oh yeah we know all the blind people oh I know <laughs> I know we, we got a lot of that right um, so yeah, no, I, I never went, like, growing up out looking for, you know, I never woke up and said, I've got to go find some blind people today. <laughs> that never happened to me. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you weren't really doing any sort of advocacy work before CFB, or, or were you? No, no, not me. I, uh, 
I don't know how I got involved with the CFB. I remember <laughs> getting involved. Or, or, yeah, how'd I you hear I about them? Into, I think I used to call into the meetings. And we're going back to probably, I don't know, 2014, 2015. I used to yeah. attend some of the meetings. Before us, before we knew about it. Yes, and then it, uh, I remember that. And then I, you know, things just progressed from there, I guess. Mm-hmm. A lot of people come in and out, right? Because everybody's trying to just get by and get through life and figure things out and and live their life and f- you know find their place and where they where, you know where they want to be in life. And and sometimes it leads you back to it, and then sometimes you you know get busy with other things. Uh, but we all sort of came into Absolutely. it in the last five years. But yeah, you've been around before us, so I don't know. Um, you obviously came back again, so I don't know what your experience has been with it, but it's led you back to becoming president. So, you know, these journeys are yes. interesting. Yeah, and what you'd say here on Outlook. They are indeed. Congrats on, on becoming president of, of CFB. You know, that's a, a, a great role to have, and it's uh, it's some responsibility and everything like that. So it's just, it is great to see somebody volunteering for that because we talk about it a lot on this show that, you know, we want to always be advocating and doing as much as we can, but there's only so much time in a day. And a lot of this stuff is still volunteer. So to give up a lot of time and energy for something Absolutely. that is a volunteer experience, while volunteering is, is an, super important and great to do, it's also, you know, it's not well, always a realistic. Lot of people so. do, a lot of people do it on the side. They have a job, they have a family, they have a life, and then they volunteer on the side. And a lot of blind people and people with disabilities, we end up in this trap where we can't find a lot of employment, Unfortunately, and then we feel like people like, well, you got you could volunteer to get some, you know, experience. But it's like then you get stuck in that loop, and it, it's you know, it's not going to put food on your yes. table. So it, it can be rewarding in other ways, and it can lead no. to things, uh, but it's difficult sometimes. And so overall, how did you find? It can be. How did you find that throughout throughout your life? Then you've talked about these businesses and everything that you were involved with. Did you find that you've you've had some luck with with employment overall, or how is that? overall been for you and, and um, how are you doing today <sighs> with that? It's, has been... It's a struggle for, for all of us, I think, and it's something that, you know, I have trouble talking about because I don't have, you know, I mentioned on the show before that I'm not I know. employed right now. Um, I do a lot of volunteer things and, and looking maybe to try to hopefully get some part-time work here in the fall um, and it's something I really do want to have, but it's, it, is a, yeah. it is a challenge. Employment is an on-again, off-again sort of thing, you know, and... You know, you employment for a lot of uh, blind people, it's not full-time employment. It's basically piecemeal piecemeal employment. So you do something, you do an hour's work, you will get paid for your hour's work, um, but you might not get work for two days more. Yeah, you can't really really rely on it. It's not dependable. It's not like, okay, I make this much money every month, and I know how much I'm making every month. Yeah, it's all kind of on the seat of your pants. Like, will I have this uh, next? Will I have money next month from this from this uh, opportunity? Because a yeah. lot of it, like you say, is sort of you know small things here and there, and and you're trying to kind of find these opportunities when you can get them. And I know now you're doing you know like some work here and there, but yeah. it's it's not it's hard to get that consistency. I think and have a you know a full <clears throat> five day week that's job. The thing. It's hard to get consistent work. That's the problem we have. And that's why we feel driven to do advocacy because we're like trying to get, how do we get employers to see our value and how do we get confidence in ourselves because there's internalized ableism 
that we deal with. There's shame. There's stigma. There's a lot of things. There's you know just trying to get by and and be able to pay your bills and be independent and and be happy. So there's a lot to to juggle there. And so we feel like we have to advocate. Is I don't know if you found that or that makes sense. Absolutely, it does. Because you took on a, a bigger role with CFB, and I just wonder, you know, what got you there, sort of internally well, for you. I guess it, uh, you know, it, 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 it. I guess it's who you know more than anything, and you know, they. Uh, I did a good like before before I was the president. I was the uh, I was the secretary, and I was doing a good job at that. So, uh, the way things worked out. Uh, they, uh, the former president uh, Mary Ellen Gavius retired and uh, they asked me if I wanted to become the president and I said okay sure I mean <laughs> and I was sort of you know, I was sort of set back there a little bit <laughs> okay what's involved in this but I, I will take it on and see what we can do with it yeah often you do what, just what learn I can do with it, you, you know? learn on the, as you go and that's like oh, many. It is. That's all... like many jobs in in the world too. Of course, there's like some prior experience sometimes required and stuff. But a lot of the time, it is learned on the job, and that's why it is. You know, like I was I was treasurer here at CFB for a couple of years as well. So it's it's the type of thing that you you know you you decide. Oh, like I don't quite know what I'm in for. Quite what this all involves, but it's all experience. It's all great learning experience, and and that's I think sometimes when you're blind, you don't maybe have these opportunities as much. So when you are offered no. these things, that maybe it's you're not necessarily like, oh, I'm, you know, I can't, I'm can't wait to do this because you know it might be a little like difficult and stressful and you don't quite know yeah. what you're signing up for. But at the same time, you also kind of like, well, you know, what have I got to lose? I'm trying to build some skills here and, and get some experience. And so, absolutely. So I don't know, kind of, if that's how it felt for you, but I'm sure, like you say, it wasn't like this easy suit. It's not an easy decision, I wouldn't think, just to jump in and and uh, you definitely no. have to think about it and. It's something you know. It is something you have to think about, and when when you do this, you you realize that you are representing a group of people. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, that you are. You know, when of- I you know coming on this podcast today, I in, on your radio show. Excuse me. I uh, it's both. Yeah. I it's realized both, so that I I'm. Works. It is indeed. Yeah. I realize that I that I'm representing a group of people. Yeah, there's pressure there for sure. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say again on the air to congrats to to Doug Lawler for for stepping up and and uh, you know agreeing to uh, t- taking up the nomination and and becoming president and and uh, giving a go at it because you know it's it's a it is a big big responsibility I think in many ways even though it is a pretty small organization still really trying to to grow and get more noticed but um. so the CFB is is not is not the National Federation of the Blind in the U.S. but we are connected with them and they obviously have been around longer and so they're more established and you know they have chapters in every state and uh, since 1940 I believe so you know CFB has been around since 99 basically so you ended up recently going to your first National Federation of the Blind Convention and that was where was that and what was that like that was in New Orleans this year that was in New Orleans it was certainly an interesting experience I got to meet. Uh, I got to meet, you know, several people uh, with, you know, not just blind people. I think I've got to meet some, you know, several uh, people who had 
obviously other disabilities besides blindness. And you could tell that just, you know, just by the way they were talking. And Well, often people have multiple uh, disabilities. It's- oh, absolutely. And th- that's something we don't realize, you know, nope. when you go to these conventions, it's not just blindness represented there. You will find all types of disabilities. You will find people in all steps of, I guess, the journey of blindness, whatever that means to everybody. Yeah. But the, you, you will find people who need, who basically don't have things like good mobility skills. So they, they bring somebody with them to assist them around to different uh, parts of these conventions. And these are huge conventions. I don't think, I, I, I certainly wasn't prepared for how big this was <laughs> until I got there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, join the club, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm sure like during the start of the show in 2018, we'd just been to our first and only so far um, NFB convention in person. I know we've all been to the virtual ones the last um, couple of years a little bit as well, but um, now that things are in person again. But anyway, back in 2018, soon after or soon before we started this show, we had went to the Orlando NFB convention and that was our first time both for Carrie and I too. And it was like, I think you commented too, Doug. Like, so when you got, when you got there to the actual hotel of the convention and you walk in that main lobby, like how did that feel for the first, the first bit there? It was like, <laughs> well, I got to the main lobby and uh, I finally got myself checked in. I, and uh, you know, that's good. At least, okay. At least I'm checked into the hotel. So I've got no problem so far. At least I've got the hotel room paid for and there's no issues here. Yeah. Uh, somewhere to sleep. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that's, that's good. Uh, so I, they were nice enough to show me where my room was. And uh, so I, you know, I was up on the 20th floor of this hotel. I think wow. there's like 42 or 43 floors in this thing. It was huge. <sighs> so I, uh, you know, got myself sorted out and straightened away. And then I went downstairs wondering where food was. And <laughs> nobody told me that there was a restaurant just a few steps off that they, they were still serving food till 12 o'clock. So I never got food till the next morning. <laughs> so I yeah, it's hard angry. to get the lay of the but, uh, land. Cause especially every, the day of when yeah. you get there. And- they hold them in different cities all the time. Each not Sometimes they do multiple years in the same place, but they're always switching it up with different cities. I think next year it's in Houston. Uh, we it went is. to Orlando it is in Houston and, next year. And I'm sure being in New Orleans just in general is quite the experience. I don't know how much chance you got to see the, the whole oh, yeah. city. Yeah. But it's a it's a whole you know, a bit of a different environment there <laughs> compared to here. One thing I'll say to somebody who's coming to one of these conventions from uh, Canada, make sure you have a data plan for the United States or it can get rather expensive. So <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always so many things to It's because you're yeah, relying on technology now. Oh, Lord. I mean, and, and everyone needs data. Yeah. Yeah. And also so, for you uh, to go to a convention like this does take a lot of planning. And, you know, I think it was a kind of a quite a last minute sort of arrangements going on. So it's, it can get tricky. Well, to, you just started travel with pandemic. The, true, world, the yeah. world's just opening up and you were, that you know, well, getting yeah. a passport again and all this stuff before you even get there. And then there's a shock of being there. And I know that was an interesting <laughs> experience even to get the passport. I, uh, <laughs> I applied in May for the uh, renewal of my passport and I was told not to worry about this. The application would be submitted. <sighs> You know, we, I had done the application. Oh, don't worry about that. You should get that by sometime around the end of June. That sounds good, I said. And uh, so June 29th rolls around. I still don't see a passport. And uh, so I call up the passport office and I had to make the mad dash to Audible to get a uh, passport mm-hmm. renewed. So that was... A <laughs> <laughs> well, so glad that, that you said that. 
he sorted that out because I oh, was yeah. I was worried for you, man. I was like, oh, yeah, no kidding. Arranging all this <laughs> stuff, and then yeah, they got to get this passport. But so, so the oh, convention, absolutely. the convention as a whole. Then, so when you when you got to the the hotel with the convention, because I know you'd stayed in a separate hotel from the convention itself. Yes. Yeah, as we did when we were there. Yeah. If you don't book in time, the certain blocker rooms. Yeah. But when so we were I there, there were. In the over- yeah, we, when we were there, there were about 3,000 people in attendance. So it's a lot of blind people in one place, which we're not used to. I think we, I think there was about 2,400 and some odd, somewhere between 24 and 2,500 people attending. Yeah, I mean, maybe the, with the, the pandemic, year. there was still, it, was a, it wasn't the same attendance as there might have been before, but still a lot of people. Yeah, so yeah. what was that What was that like for you? Because, you know, I'm sure none of us have been around that many blind people at once and, and uh, just people in general and so much going on and... Did you feel quite in, like intimidated in the beginning? How did how did it kind of feel for you? You know, it did it did feel a bit intimidating in the uh, in the beginning. Uh, getting around some of these places are just uh, interesting. Like crossing uh, crossing the street to go to the actual main hotel. This was a street that I had never crossed before. It had it had six lanes of traffic on a trolley track running down the middle. So mm-hmm. it uh, it was an interesting thing to try to cross that. So Ira came in handy at this, uh, at back this street crossing. Thank God for Always comes back to Ira. <laughs> Ira was lovely at, at the uh, street section. But anyway, get, getting over there, the, the biggest thing was getting around. Like if, if I had my time back, I think I would have went down a day earlier just so I could have explored where, okay, where's where are all these mm-hmm. rooms where all these meetings are taking place and just take a walk through the place. Yeah, and make sure that you know I got the things I wanted or the things I needed for the week coming up, because not having a uh, not having a SIM card set me back a day, and uh, I uh, I had to go figure out how to get to a T-Mobile to get a SIM card. That was interesting. But uh, so anyway, I but I but a fine by the time I got this done and everything fixed again, it was around three o'clock in the afternoon. And then I had to go and find how how to get registered for this thing. And by the time I got, by the time I found the registration, they were closed for the day. And then I couldn't do anything until the next day. So that really put me back a day when mm-hmm. things didn't work out the way I thought they would be. But once your week but got, I, once the week got going, I mean. Yeah, once I got things going, it, it was interesting. I The first day I went to the exhibit hall, uh, that was it. I saw. I was interested in Braille more than anything, so I did yeah. see some interesting technology regarding Braille. I saw a multi-line Braille display for the first time, so that was interesting. There's a company called uh, Orbit Research. They are indeed coming out with a multi-line Braille display. One has uh, three lines and forty cells, and uh, there's another one. Call it. It has five lines and twenty cells, hmm. and it's the same type of a unit. I also saw a graphics display that could display graphics. Yeah, that's what I'm interested in because a lot of blind people never get to see what certain it, making uh, tactile graphics and making images yes. accessible. Yeah, it's 
interesting what they can do now with 3D printing. This was interesting. Mm -hmm. This definitely was was interesting. I don't think it's going to be in my house anytime soon because it's just too much money. Always the problem but, uh, is stuff's always so expensive. I know. But, yeah. They're very expensive. Well, yeah, I think they just um, made they just made a talking uh, Peloton machine, like a program on the Peloton bi bikes. Oh, did they? And but they're like, yeah, this is like two thousand, three thousand dollars. <laughs> Oh wow! Is it that much? Yeah. Good lord! Uh -huh. I thought you'd think they'd find a way to put that on a. Uh, I, I know. A mobile phone or something, or but, an um, iPad or something. But these these conventions, these these exhibit halls are full of displays oh, and huge. people selling things and all sorts of products. It's fascinating. Oh, there's no there's no trouble to uh, there's no trouble to spend money. One <laughs> of the things I did see uh, was a talking kiosk. Uh, there was a company with a talking kiosk uh, set up. Oh. Nice. And uh, they're trying to get people to put those in all over. Yeah, I mean. You know, basically in the food market. Yeah, uh, everywhere now. Has they call them micro markets now. They're trying to put these in. Oh. So I did see one of those. I did see, oh, you know, the, the NFB independence market was there. That's basically your low-tech solutions. There was the companies you would expect. There was Amazon. There were Cruise. I, I didn't get to talk to anybody at Cruise, the self-driving car people. Mm. But th that would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole uh, other that's a whole thing other that's topic. a futuristic thing that's coming in, and you never know when, when that'll actually be possible to, for us to be able to <laughs> be in a car by ourselves yeah. and drive. But, you know, it's it's in the works for someday in the future. Maybe, that technology so. is coming. Uh, so other presentations, you know, at the... There's all types of presentations at these conventions. Uh, I attended uh, one on, say, fundraising, and it was talk they talked. They talked about uh, things like estate giving and all that sort of stuff in this one. I attend. I attended another one on guide dogs. Uh, they wanted to. Uh, they were talking about the, the problems they were having with guide dogs, and there, a lot of the problems they're having are basically a lot of the problems we are having. Um, yeah. Discrimination in transportation is the big one. Yeah, like I Ubers and cows will just more than anything. They'll pull up and yeah. see the dog and pull away. Yeah, that's right. Uh, somebody stand. They uh, now the one the meeting I was at. They had uh, somebody from Lyft, mm -hmm. which we don't have here in Kingston. I don't know if Lyft is in Toronto, but I, 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 I think it might be. I'm not sure. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know they they at least acknowledge that they were having these issues. They still do have them. They're working on solving them. The short of the story is I don't know what the end solution is going to be to a lot of these. Yeah. To a lot of these problems in in the guide dog space. So yeah. so what else? What um, other were there other other highlights? I know also you did get a chance to meet Mark Riccobono, the the president I of the did. NFB, which so there's I did get to meet President Riccobono, which was a good uh Makes sense of the new CFB president. Which makes sense. I, uh, but it wasn't until about Thursday I got there. I wanted to do all this Monday, but I didn't get in until late. And then <laughs> Tuesday I was all trying to get myself all sorted out. So, And I'm, he's got a lot that, of demands uh, on his time. you got to make know. an appointment. So I, I ended up going up there very early on a Thursday morning. And what was the, that like? Uh, it was good. It was good. We had a uh, we had a good conversation for about five or you know, for about anywhere from five to ten minutes. I'm not sure how long we were there talking. It wasn't that long. Yeah. I just wanted to introduce myself. He introduced himself, mm -hmm. and we just you know that 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 was good. And that's that's what I expected more than anything. Did yeah. you get a chance yeah, just, to, to talk at all about the the CFB or the fact that you are the president now, or kind of get any? Yes, sort I of did. You know, we we had a uh, we had a short conversation about that, but you know, it's. It, it was more of an introductory conversation. 
you know, I'm, I'm sure if I'll have a talk to him next year again, it, it might be about something else. Who knows? Yeah, just making him aware of yeah, that. That I mean, he's known Mary Ellen, I think. So just to know there's been a switch and to- yes, yes. So for anyone who's been listening today, we are speaking with Doug Lawler from Kingston, Ontario, a friend of ours. We got to know over the past five years through our involvement with the Canadian Federation of the Blind. We have um, you know just under ten minutes left, about seven seven minutes on today's program. So yeah, I don't know. Are there any other highlights specifically from the convention? Any any um, positives? Any any negatives? Any uh, any more thoughts you wanted to share about your experience? You know, if I could sum this up into you know a sentence, it is something I would go back to. I I would be a lot more prepared next year for you know the things that may come up. I certainly enjoyed the people I met from you know different parts of uh, you know the United States and. And even from, I, I met one woman, she was from Mexico. So uh, it's, yeah. it's certainly nice to meet all the uh, Did you people. see any Canadians there then? Other Canadians? I saw a couple. I saw a couple. There, there were definitely a few Canadians there. So uh, they were doing their thing and I was doing mine. So I, I really didn't get a chance to talk to them all that much. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when I, I went when I went there, that's right when I was getting involved with CFB. So part of me was like, oh, if I find Canadians, I want to tell them about the CFB because a lot of people in Canada don't know about it. Well, they go to the NFB no. convention because it's such an experience, but they're not, they're, they're not they really don't, aware. Of, they're not aware of that there's something in Canada. Right. But when I met these people, we were actually in another meeting. So we... Uh, yeah, you don't have time we, to uh, be gay. No, we didn't have time. We didn't have time. But it was great to hear, like, what's going on. I attended... Uh, even though a lot of this stuff is U.S. based, I attended something called the Washington or the recap of the Washington seminar. A lot of the things were sort of over my head as a as a Canadian. But the uh, one of the things I heard about that they were working on. Now we do have something similar here, where we can claim if we purchase a piece of assistive technology on, we can claim this on our income tax apparently. So. They have, there's a rebate program now that they have in place in the United States and the NFB was instrumental in pushing that forward. Hmm. Yeah, they, I mean, they do a, a lot of, you know, pol- policy work with government. They they really reach out to government and work with government. And, you know, that's yes. kind of how you, how change happens. You kind of have, we all have to get engaged civically as, as citizens, not just in, in advocacy and, and blindness you know, situations, but all of us to get more active in our own, in, in democracy, in our own countries. Uh, and Absolutely. a lot of, a lot of us avoid politics and a lot of that, I get that, but a lot of the NFB is, is very, very good with that. Whereas we're a little less. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if you learned some lessons. about. Yes, that, we but. definitely have room for improvement in, in Canada when it comes to advocating with our governments and working with our governments to get things done. I, I totally agree there. Because we we can stand and shout at them all that all we want, but but if you're not actually making that contact, you're just shouting from from you know you're from afar. It's not gonna. And yeah. I find that these conventions they are great to give you a bit of an idea about you know how these things are and policies and how many things are out there. But the only difference is, like you say, a lot of it is U.S. based. So while there's some similarities, it's still different. Well, it's 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 a lot for it's a lot. For, it's a very it's a week full of stimulation and full of things coming at you. And then when you get home, I don't know what did you find when you got home. Was it? Well, I was certainly glad to get back. And I never got back till about, I don't know, 11 or 12 o'clock in the night. And I was certainly glad to get home and uh, 
Well, yeah, he's had some delays and stuff with the travel, or mm-hmm. s- travel was a little just with the <laughs> pandemic, right? It's not always the most ideal. But it was a lot to take Coming in. Coming through I'm Toronto. Sure. Coming through Pearson Airport was certainly interesting. Coming back through Pearson Airport was interesting, and even going out through it, I had no trouble on the U.S. side, but I, it was it was interesting on the Canadian side yeah, getting well, you know, in and out through security. A lot of people fun. have been, you know, saying that this, Toronto's one of the worst places these days. So, to, yeah, to travel through it probably is. But get, but on on returning and sort of reflecting on on your first experience with that and our situation in Canada as you go forward as president I don't know what have you had many thoughts about you know what the situation is here and what you'd like to see or what we should maybe be doing Just give you any sort of inspiration or ideas or sort <laughs> well, of thought I mean see see when I came back know, I, it was I, a it was a bit I, of both I felt the I felt the inspiration but I also felt kind of a a bit of a loss or it's like, you know, it's like anything when you go through an event where there's so much excitement and then you come yeah. back to here and it's just so quiet and you're like, I don't know, it was like, not a, I don't know, sadness in a way maybe? It's kind of a, I'm trying to think of the best word, but anyway, go, go ahead. It's like you're glad that this has ended, but do I really want this to end or something? <laughs> sort of that feeling. Uh, going forward for the CFB, I, I you know, it, it's not just me who can make a decision. We yeah. We have a board of executives who... Yeah, who, and that's the point. It's not all up to one who person. Who to make decisions. And, it's not just me. And yeah. it's not even just so, the executives, really, right? Like, we want... The, no. I think the whole goal is to have everyone have a say. And, of course, there is a board to, to do a final voting on, on certain things. But a lot of the things, I think, are open to, to public um, input. And everything is, really. So, you know, we, we definitely need input. There's no question about that. And what's... Uh, on what type of uh, advocacy we're going to engage in 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 the coming year. But like you said, we're representing, like the, it's an organization that represents certain ideas and their philosophy with the NFB and the CFB, live the life yes. they want. And so w- that looks different for each person. Blind people are not a monolith, right? We're all different. But it's like, absolutely. how do we get people engaged? How do we move forward and make, things better because I, I don't have children but I'd like to make things better for the next generation of blind children but even just going forward for me and for my brother and for all of us and it's hard to know sometimes how to do that it is hard to know how to do that it uh, you know it, you have to pick pick your battles I guess you, you have to pick your battles you have to pick one cause that you're interested in and uh, move forward with it like we've uh, We've been working on the guide dog issue out in uh, out in BC, out in British Columbia, with the uh, guide dogs, with the whole guide dog situation out there, with the uh, the bike lanes, uh, the the whole bike lane case, and uh, mm-hmm. well, how guide dogs sort of fit into that. The uh, that goes back to where the uh, they what they've done with the bus stops up there. So Yeah, we've talked about that on the show. Yeah, it's definitely come up on oh, this show. Yeah. And there are some bus the some some lanes like that here in London, Ontario as well now. So it's it is one of these things that we say it's happening everywhere and you know, that's why you yeah. do need these we do need groups like CFB to, to bring awareness to this stuff so people are aware and have Absolutely. You know, you, you can't do this stuff on your own. So having a group of people working together on it at least you know, gives more voices and, and that's why it is still, CFB is quite small, right? So I don't know if you have any thoughts on how to kind of grow it because that's something else I think we do need to kind of find a way somehow, but it's... That's something we need to work on. It's tough. I don't know. we need to yeah. definitely work on. I, 
I definitely don't have all the answers. Yeah, and that's I great. I don't mind that's, saying that. That's, right important, that's important to admit. And I think that can even be a great place to end the show today, Doug, because it's it's human to admit that. And that's that's okay. And we're Absolutely. All, you're going to learn. We're going to figure it out as we go. Yeah, and that's why we wanted there we go. do want to work together and build this blind community. Like we said, we all were kind of you know disenfranchised from it a bit there for quite a while and not really connected with the community. So it's nice to see that we are starting to make these connections and and uh, continue to make that happen more and more. And uh, like you say, at the convention, meeting so many people that was a big highlight for me too. It was just meeting so many different people, and I think that's uh, a lot of what it's all about. But uh, absolutely. We'd love to have you back on again, Doug, and see sure. how your presidency goes forward and what happens with CFB, and, and we'll um, definitely have you back on Outlook. So That sounds you. wonderful. Thanks for coming on today. Good luck with it. You're welcome, and thank you very much. It's certainly been a pleasure. Send us an email. Outlook on Radio Western at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Outlook CFB. And on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.